Good morning. This is New Hampshire Today. I am Chris Ryan. Joe Biden addressed the nation yesterday, first with about a 15-minute speech, and then took questions for over an hour. And it had its, its good moments, its bad moments, its indifferent moments. But one thing that definitely stood out was uh, when he was asked about Vladimir Putin, he said, I'm not so sure President Vladimir Putin is certain what he is going to do. My guess is he will move in to the Ukraine. And he has to do something. John Bolton joins us right now, former ambassador to the U.N. and national security advisor under President Trump. Uh, ambassador Bolton, how are you? I'm fine. Thanks for having me. Appreciate you being with us. Uh, your thoughts on what uh, Biden had to say yesterday during that press conference. Is it the best thing to be speculating about Vladimir Putin's intent? Well, it was stunning what he said. I mean, I still haven't recovered from it uh, the, the next morning. Uh he, he basically said, my policy of deterring Russia from attacking Ukraine will fail, uh, uh, all, which is, is an amazing thing to say. He, he committed what uh, is one version of, of what's often called the Washington gaffe, and that is saying what you actually think at the right. wrong time. Uh, so for Putin, uh, he, he's basically conceding he, he has to move. Uh, that that it's going to happen, that his policy has failed. And he then went on, and I think this is, in many respects, far worse. He said, uh, and I, I agree at this point, Putin does know exactly what he's going to do, which is why this, this Biden comment is so damaging. He then said, you know, if it's only a minor incursion into Ukraine, then then we'll have to argue about what to do. Uh, which is like an engraved invitation to Putin to not to go for the whole country, but just to take a piece of it. Uh, and it reveals what uh, Putin already suspects, that there's disagreement within NATO about how strong a response uh, he's going to face, which is, by the way, why the underlying deterrence uh, uh, Biden has tried to create uh, looks like it's going to fail. So all in all, if I were Vladimir Putin, uh, I'd be sizing up uh, the discussions that are going to take place at the foreign minister level uh, in Berlin between uh, the U.S., U.K., France, and Germany, uh, and then uh, Russian foreign minister meets with Secretary of State uh, in Vienna tomorrow. Uh, and I think it's going to be a brutal meeting, and uh, we'll begin to lay the groundwork for perhaps Putin taking that step of crossing the Ukrainian border. So I assume, as do you, that this is a Biden blunder, but let's to the flip side and say, what if what if Biden here is laying this out there to get this get this going? And there is something behind this. Is there any rationale that would lead to someone to believe that, in fact, Biden is saying this with a uh, distinct purpose and wants Vladimir Putin to make a a move? No, I don't think so, because I think immediately after it came out, uh, I, I had already tweeted because I was so stunned at the comment that uh, that uh, I was able to get something out quickly. The, the White House press office, the NSC press office, tried to roll back what Biden said. So I, I think this was, uh, as I say, that Biden made a mistake of saying what he actually thought. He didn't read the script in front of him, uh, but he let slip what he thought was going to happen. And that in his mind, a minor incursion, which, by the way, there's no definition for that. I come back to that in a second, but a minor incursion wouldn't be so bad. And 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 this is this is how Putin is doing his cost benefit analysis. How much can he get for the lowest possible price? For example, is it a minor incursion if Putin sends tank columns 
up until they're visible from the capital of Kiev and then pulls back and only takes a piece of the country, as Russia basically did in August of 2008 with Georgia when they were near the capital, Tbilisi, but eventually only split off only two of Georgia's provinces. This this is the kind of thing that uh, certainly in many countries in Europe uh, and, in, and in many circles in Washington, people will say, oh, what a relief. Is that all? That's not nearly as bad as it could have been. So Russia will escape with minimal consequences, and that tees up the next time Putin does this. This, this is the, the problem I think Biden has in not being able to think strategically. Yeah, I think you're 100% right in that he laid out exactly what um, his intelligence folks, the Secretary of State, were telling him about how this was going to play out, that uh, Putin was going to engage to a limited degree, look to take some land, call it a victory, and there would not have to be a military intervention um, on our part, and then this thing would go away. And that seems to be what Biden did. He said exactly what his intelligence officials were were telling him. Is that fair? Well, I think that's one possibility. I've been writing for several weeks now that while we're focused on Ukraine, and there's very good reason to be focused on it, Putin is looking at a much broader picture. He's looking at all of the countries left in the gray zone between the expanded NATO, NATO's eastern border, in effect, and Russia's western border, Belarus, where... Wall Street Journal reports this morning more Russian troops have now been deployed. I mean, he what Putin would like to do there, I think, is reincorporate Belarus into uh, yeah. Russia. Uh, Moldova has Russian troops on its soil. You've got Georgia, as I mentioned, uh, Armenia, Azerbaijan, Russia deep in the conflict between those two countries. Uh, so Putin could do a bait-and-switch here. This could be a shell game. He could move in several different places. People will recall he was... Uh, just invited into Kazakhstan a couple of weeks ago, another coup on his point of view, very ready, very quick to send 2,500 troops in. Uh, so the momentum here is with Putin. He's calling the shots. He, he's, he's, he's running the script at this point, and Biden is telling him what his cue cards are saying. Yeah, I want to ask you about what you think Putin's endgame is here in regard to Ukraine, as this is something that has been going on for many, many years, and it seems that uh, he uses the military in some circumstances. He also has uh, pro-Kremlin political figures who run and, and very often lose uh, in elections in the Ukraine. What do you see as being the, the push and pull between his military intentions, and does he want to see a a political type of a coup take place where a, a government entity in Ukraine would then uh, move uh, in the direction of Russia? Well, he, he had has had in the past Ukrainian governments that are that are pretty pro-Russian. And, you know, one consequence is splitting off the Crimea, splitting off the Donbass region, maybe splitting off another uh, more pro-Russian region is he's reducing the pro-Russian vote in what's left of Ukraine. So I think uh, Putin has two characteristics that are uh, somewhat unusual when combined in the same person, but he's both patient, prepared to wait long enough to get his objectives, but also agile. Mm -hmm. And that when he does move, he can move quickly. And that's why I think in the current scenario, compared to our president, who I would not describe as agile uh, or his administration, and certainly not the Europeans, we are simply responding at this point. The goal is to avoid Russian forces coming into Ukraine. And to do that, 
you need deterrence. Everything the Biden administration has done has been in a purely reactive mode uh, to say, well, if they cross the border, then we will do X and Y. And I don't, I don't think Putin believes these threats. As I said before, he took the, the Crimea and moved into the Donbass in 2014 and essentially suffered only minimal consequences. So even if Biden is serious, and even if the sanctions he's threatening uh, are, are strong ones, Putin may not believe he'll, he'll go through with them, or he also mm-hmm. believes maybe the Germans won't, maybe other Europeans won't. Uh, and, and I think that's, again, why at this point, I think Putin feels pretty confident, and I think we should be very worried. You, you can bet in Ukraine uh, they're very worried at the moment. These autocratic leaders have the benefit of also being extremely pragmatic in that they can wait out, whether it's the Trump administration, which obviously you were a part of, or the Biden administration, and they have the ability to be agile, as you referenced, because they're not as encumbered by the um, vast bureaucracy that exists here. And there also is a brutalistic aspect to them, which does not um, exist uh, for the most part amongst the American people and our leaders. So there's a lot of, as you mentioned, challenges in dealing with these types of leaders, given our system of of governance and my my question is that and i have one more after that but do how does that change and how did it change in that you know we were successful in dealing with um enemies before but these enemies seem to be um when we're still having i would say success we're not in, engaged in a you know an all-out war at this point in time although we could certainly talk about cyber and things of that nature but how did this change in that we are now in a um, not a position of strength, and how do we gain that position back? Well, I think we can get the position back, but I think for many years, uh, Americans have been told by their political leaders, everything's going to be fine. There are no great challenges out there in the world. Remember, at the end of the Cold War, we had a peace dividend and dramatically cut the size of our defense budget. We acted like, as one famous commentator said, we had reached the end of history. There really wasn't anything more coming. Now, we were brutally awakened from that by 9-11 and took a number of steps uh, on, the, on the counterterrorism front to, to, to protect our population and our allies. But already people had forgotten about that. That's why this withdrawal from Afghanistan, which also colors Putin's view of Biden's weakness. And, and by the way, it colors Xi Jinping's view in mm. China of Biden's weakness, too. Uh, uh, demonstrates that uh, our leaders have lost their way. We live in a world with a lot of threats and challenges. That's not going to change. That's the nature of humanity. Back to domestic politics, and there is a fight taking place in the Republican Party uh, between Donald Trump and Ron DeSantis at this point, which I think you'd probably be pretty engaged in. My question, though, is this. I assume that you are of the belief that it is best for the Republican Party and the country that Donald Trump is not the Republican nominee and does not become president again. What, in your mind, is the best way for the party uh, to handle Trump, given the stronghold that he has at this point? How do you dissuade Donald Trump? Can you dissuade Donald Trump from running? Well, I don't think he is going to run. And, I, you know, I've been doing some national polling through my super PAC and just, just released a new poll yesterday uh, that, that shows that when you ask Republican voters, real actual voters, uh, Trump's influence has diminished in the years since he left office very significantly. And the trend lines are all pointing down. So I think the way to get past Trump is to ignore him. I think he's not relevant to the problems facing the country now. He's obsessed with arguing about the 2020 election. I think voters vote looking forward. Who's going to solve the problem of inflation? Who's going to 
fix the the uh, educational system after a year of teachers not wanting to do in-person learning. Who, who's going to deal with law and order? By the way, who's going to deal with these foreign threats as well? Uh, and I, I think there are a lot of Republicans poised to run out there. And ultimately, I don't think Trump will run because I think he knows deep inside he lost in 2020. He knows that. He just doesn't want to admit it. Uh, and he fears he would lose in 2024. He doesn't want to go down in history as a loser. So he'll talk constantly about running right up until the last moment. And then what I think he really wants to do is be the kingmaker in the Republican nomination fight in 2024. I totally agree with that. But the dynamic of how that happens to me is still interesting because the last time I don't think he wanted to be president either. And he started to do well and he stuck around. And uh, I feel that that potential has a chance to happen here, too. Do you have any interest in running for president? No, I don't at this point. I mean, I think I, I, there's a lot of uh, repair work to be done in the Republican Party, and I certainly want to contribute to that. And I, my feeling is that it's better if people don't think I have some ulterior motive. Right. Uh, I really am motivated by fixing the damage, and, and that's, that's, that's going to be significant enough work. Ambassador Bolton, as always, thank you so much. We'll talk again soon. Glad, glad, glad to be with you. John Bolton joining us here on Hampshire State, former National Security Advisor under President Trump and Ambassador to the U.N., under President George W. Bush. Tom Raffio from Northeast Delta Dental is next. I am Chris Ryan. This is New Hampshire Today.